welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is former Central Michigan head coach, athletic director, and ABCA executive director Dave Kylitz. Dave spent 14 seasons as the Chippewas head coach from 1971 to 1984. He led Central Michigan to six regional appearances. He was athletic director for 10 years and was the chair of the NCAA Baseball Committee. From 1994 to 2014, he was the ABCA Executive Director. In his time as Executive Director, he oversaw some of the most important legislation that was put in place for college baseball. He's a Central Michigan and ABCA Hall of Famer and was recently inducted in the National College Baseball Hall of Fame. We got a chance to sit down with Dave in the Marriott Hotel in Omaha, Nebraska during the ABCA Board of Directors meetings at the College World Series. Dave is a 52-year continuous member of the ABCA. He's a shining example of having success as you transition from one step to another in your career. He gives great advice on leading a life of impact and tips on how to be successful as a coach, administrator, and executive. This is also a great history lesson on the college game and the ABCA. Let's welcome Dave Kylitz to the podcast. Here with Dave Kylitz, 52-year continuous member, a 1982 ABCA president, uh, Central Michigan Hall of Famer, ABCA Hall of Famer, now National College Baseball Hall of Fame. I know Craig said you're in like nine different Hall of Fame. Just seven. Just, Just seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and that speaks to the career that you've had. Um, and, and for people, you know, you and I were just talking about some college baseball stuff. Give people a snapshot of what college baseball was in the 1970s. Well... I started at Central Michigan University um, as a student athlete in 1960. Uh, so that was my first experience with college baseball. Had a great uh, opportunity there to, to play. Played for two wonderful coaches. Um, and um, uh, probably uh, the greatest decision that I ever made other than marrying my wife Sue was to go to Central because everything evolved from there for for the rest of my career um, but I, I remember I, I finished uh, my my 
playing career and graduated from there in, in four years. And then I was a grad, graduate, I had a graduate assistantship and worked, taught in the physical education department, which all of us did at that and time. And that everybody did yeah, that. Yeah, all that the coaches, we teach half time and you coach, including football and basketball, yep. all of us. And so I remember as my, I was studying for my final, last final exam for my master's degree. I had had some interviews as a, uh, high school uh, coaching and, and teaching history, that was my major. And Bill Tennyson, who was my mentor and my baseball coach, came in uh, the, the faculty lounge where I was studying before I went to my final exam and said that, um, uh, that uh, asked if I'd be interested in being the JV baseball coach. Well, it took about uh, three seconds. He said, think on it, and I did for three seconds and said yes. So that, that started my coaching career. And so I was the, the JV baseball coach for, um, for five years. And then uh, uh, Waldo Sauter, our baseball coach, became the uh, chair of the physical education department and I became the head coach at 27 years of age. Now, did and, Coach Tennyson get you into the ABCA? No, uh, actually, the person that really introduced me to the ABCA was Danny Letweiler. Uh, who's who's in, also going into the National College yes, Baseball Yes, yes, and he was at Michigan State. I was doing, in the summers, when I was a JV baseball coach, doing advanced degree work at Michigan State, which is 60 miles south of, of Mount Pleasant. I was driving down there each day, and I went over to the baseball office, introduced myself to Danny, and he said, come over as long as, often as you want which I did, um, I probably made a pain of myself once a week. I'd go over and we'd just sit and visit. And he's really the one that introduced me to the ABCA. Bill Tennyson was a member uh, uh, in Waldo Sauter, but played for both of them. But Danny was really into the ABCA and of course had been president and so forth. So he was the one that really got me involved in the ABCA. What were some of the things that Coach Litweiler was showing you when you went over there that maybe you didn't know at that point when you were going over to Michigan State? Uh, he, was, um, he was a real innovator. He had all kinds of stuff that he would, the flat board glove for, you know, for you. Pitching against, throwing the ball against a, a, a breakable mirror, uh, uh, all kinds of different things like that, and that kind, some of that stuff really intrigued me. But he was a, he was kind of like a superstar in coaching. He had taken the Florida State team uh, to uh, to the World Series, and when the baseball job, when John Cobes at Michigan State, another ABCA Hall of Famer, retired. Uh, uh, the, the AD, Biggie Munn at Michigan State, uh, he wanted to really build a baseball program. So he was going to pay anything to get the top coach, which is one of those was Danny Litweiler. And so uh, he hired Danny. It seems like a strange move going from Florida State to Michigan State, but I think he paid him a lot of money and a lot of things to, to build up that program. And so um, uh, I, I just felt honored to be in his presence at that time and uh, we'd just talk about recruiting, we'd talk about practice, we'd talk about um, um, uh, game setup and, and strategies and all type of that stuff and I say I'm just a young nobody JV coach and he could not have been kinder and and so my he then introduced me as really into the ABCA which I joined did he my, take you to your first convention? In my first convention, I, I flew with our baseball coach at that time, our head coach, Waldo Sauter, to Washington, D.C., January of 1970. 
greatest experience uh, that I'd ever had in baseball up to that time. Um, we were at the old Mayflower Hotel. There's probably, I'm going to say, maybe 200 coaches there. It seemed like everybody in the world. And I remember sitting in the lobby and looking at these guys. And, I, and the, night be, the night of the banquet, like we still have today, the uh, Hall of Fame Coach of the Year banquet and everything, we had the kind of reception. And I, I, I um, got up enough nerve to go over and introduce myself to, to Rod Dato. Uh, great uh, Southern Cal coach, and and Rod, as gracious as he always was, you know, I told him who I was in Central Michigan and JV coach, and he said, "In your program, second to none." I'm thinking, I'm not sure we quite match up here, but but that's fine. But I went away. The great thing about baseball coaches, and you know this today, it's still true today, is that they're the greatest people in the world to work with. I walked away as a JV baseball coach and said, feeling like I really belonged. I, I have been so welcomed by so many of the old timers and the others there, and I haven't missed one since. Uh, and um, it, it was just it was special and, it, and, it's, and it's special today. And of course, how the organization has grown uh, is, is satisfying to me as being executive director uh, for 20 years. And then, of course, you guys have taken it to, to even another level. And I'm uh, riding coattails right now. I, I showed up at a great time. Yeah. Now I'm lucky I was with the organization forever. I'm going into yeah. my 25th year this next year. So uh, it's been wonderful for yeah. me, but I'm riding coattails right now. Craig and Juan and, and the whole office, Matt and Zach, those guys had done a lot of legwork before I showed up. I'm just trying to add some value to you. Yeah, yeah, and you have for sure. It's um, it, it's just a great organization. When when this job was offered to me, um, I was chair of the baseball committee, and I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, I was the athletic director at Central. I coached as head coach at Central for 14 years. President Abel, the, the president at Central Michigan. Um, talked to me when our AD, Ted Coheed, was retiring if I'd be interested in the AD job. And it kind of caught me off guard because at the time I was still only 41 years of age and kind of felt like I was in the prime of my coaching. Uh, that last year that I was coach at Central 84, we hosted the NCAA Regional, uh, which is always an honor to have an opportunity to do that. Um, but and I really had mixed emotions about it, except I felt, you know, this is a progression in my professional career. I love Central. I wanted to be there. Um, and this just looked like another great opportunity. Um, and so I told him I would be interested. So I did apply for the position and, and ultimately, you know, got that job. Was there ever talk that you would stay as baseball coach and do both? The President Abel asked me that, which is so tempting. But it I is, need, but it's hard. I, I can't. It's not. It's not possible, especially at a school like. Now, if you're at, if you're. Um, there's some. There's some there, guys that are still doing it there, now. There, but there it's, are, it's but, tough. but it, it, something's going to suffer, and I felt, hey, baseball is going to suffer, or the AD is going to suffer, and probably both of them will suffer if you're trying to do both. You just didn't have enough support staff to be able to do that. Um, so I took that over and, uh, and did that for 10 years, loved it, uh, great spot. But in, in the ninth year, I was chair of the baseball committee and we're sitting here in Omaha, Rosenblatt Stadium, and I'm down in the front row, and I tap on my shoulder 
and it's Bud Daniel who's the chair of the American Baseball Coach. Well, I had missed the meeting that morning because as chair of the baseball committee, I had to be out there uh, out at the field at, at Old Rosenblatt. But but um, Bud said to me, he said, uh, hey, can we meet after after the game tonight at the hotel? And I said, yeah, it's going to be late. It's going to be midnight before I'm out of there. And he said, that's okay. Come on up to my room. So I went up there, and there's seven or eight of my good friends, board members there, and they said that Dick Burquist had announced at the meeting that morning he's going to retire in a year. And we wanted to know if you would be interested. Well, geez, you know, I thought about it. My first reaction was, no, I, I didn't want to leave Central um, uh, or Mount Pleasant. And we talked a little more. I talked to Craig and, and, and um, Brad, or son Brad, and my wife Sue about it a little bit. And uh, really kind of indicated to Bud, no, this is not a good time for me. Well, then they came back and said, well, how about if we move the headquarters to Mount Pleasant? And we talked a little bit more. Where were they at before? It was, well, actually, it was in Omaha, here in Omaha. So it was here in Omaha. Yeah, it was here in Omaha, and that's where they wanted to keep it. But Bur Dick Burquist took it on a just like a two-year interim thing. And so they, actually, it was in Amherst, Massachusetts, but it's supposed to come back here. And, um, and um, they said, hey, we'll move the headquarters, make it permanent in Mount Pleasant, um, as long as you're the executive director. And I thought about it, I said, you know, if I'm ever going to do anything different, What's better than working with baseball coaches every day? I, feel and that's, the same way. I still feel that same way. Um, so I told, I went to our president and told our president, uh, President uh, Abel, that I, or President Placta, that in a year I was going to leave as, a, as the athletic director and become the executive director, which is great from the standpoint. I'm going to be executive director of ABC. I'm still going to be part of CMU and Mount Pleasant on volunteer basis or whatever, and that that existed for the. And, and you're still giving back to Central Michigan. Well, I, I serve as chair chair of the um, of the um, uh, CMU Advancement uh, Board. Uh, I've done I've done that. I've raised a lot of money for the uh, for the university. Um, Serve on a uh, hospital board and a lot of other things. So it's it's been a, a tremendous run. How did you handle the transition? You've been successful as a coach, AD, executive. How did you handle those transitions to your next job? Well, everyone everyone was different, and in it kind of you kind of learn on the job. You know, going from no athletic administrative uh, um, duties. Uh, other than baseball, to running the whole athletic department, as you, you learn as you go along. Um, Did you lean on anybody outside of Central Michigan that was in, yeah, in an athletic director? A, a guy that I met with quite often uh, was Doug Weaver, the AD at Michigan State. Uh, Doug and I would get together for lunch maybe once every two months, and I'd pick his brain on different things. Um, of course, you go to the NCAA convention each January. You pick up a lot of things there. And I, I know I made an awful lot of phone calls to an awful lot of people um, over the years on how on different issues. Did you ever have so, to fire anybody as an AD? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's, For me, I think that would be the toughest thing going from coaching to as an athletic director because you, you were yeah. in their shoes as a coach. Yeah, you um, and a couple of those people were, were really close friends. Uh, but you always have to look what's best for the, the total program and the student athlete. Just like a coach uh, doing what's best for the program as yeah, opposed to the individual player. Absolutely. And um, 
So, so that, that's the most difficult thing because it, it affects so many people. It affects his, the families, the assistant coaches, everybody involved in the program. And so I, fortunately in my 10 years, I think I only had to fire three. Um, over over those years. Um, What were some pitfalls? So, you know, for coaches that are listening in, coaches that weren't successful that you had to let go, what were some of the pitfalls they were falling into? uh, The the biggest thing is it it wasn't a matter of their win-loss records. It was in two of those cases, it was issues off the field. And basically there were no brainers. You know, it had to be done. Uh, and so, um, yeah, there's, there's a couple things as a coach at the college level that if you do, you're, you're going yeah, to get left. Yeah. Up. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's the toughest thing. And then of course, everybody, no matter where you're at, it seems like you got some type of financial issues. I don't care if you're at Ohio state with a budget of 200 million or Texas, or if you're at a, a, a smaller school with a budget of 20 million, yeah. it, it's just, it, it, there's always seems to be financial issues out there. And then, and then keeping, um, uh, you know, trying to provide whatever you can for your coaches uh, to be able to run their program properly. Um, and of course, I think I probably coached as AD at the right time because there wasn't any social media. I think that's the killer today for most administrators and coaches of, of people out there that are, think they, they're experts on everything and they get online and there's unfortunately so many people, if they read something online, they think it's the, the truth. And of course, that's, that's, that's one of the issues today. Being an AD right now is not any fun. Um, I don't care once again what level you're at. It's just, it's just it's so job. difficult. And then with the pandemic this past year and a half, of, of, of the budgets. I was just reading today of some, a couple of major universities that are looking at 60 to $70 million deficits. And uh, managing that is, is really, really difficult. Did you like one or the other more coaching, being an AD, executive? Have you enjoyed all of them? I, I've enjoyed all of them. If I could do it all over again, um, I would have liked to have probably coached a few more years and then become an AD, but there's no guarantees on those. For sure. Um, uh, but it, uh, I think the timing going from an AD to the executive director, that worked out, that worked out well. Uh, but uh, if I had my druthers, uh, and you could pick your timing on everything, to coach a few more years uh, would have been would have been really a, a pleasure. Who got you on thank you notes? Because you were a mentor to me when I was a young coach, and it was always nice when you would get a handwritten note from Dave Kylitz. Who got you on handwritten notes? You know, my dad used to do that. My dad used to have a stack on his desk of thank you cards. It might be somebody saw a church that did something and he'd just write a note like that. Um, uh, might be somebody at work, he was an engineer for Dow Chemical Company in Midland, Michigan. Um, and, and my dad was big on it too. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, if these guys, guys that I look up to that I think are really successful, if they're doing it, it's probably the right thing to do. Well, I think it means a lot, to me, but it's gotta be a sincere thing too. You don't send a thank you note to somebody that you don't really believe deserves it. If somebody does something good, which is for the good of the university, good for the community, uh, uh, just uh, runs their program right, has a lot of success, uh, then, you know, I just get out pencil and paper or pen and paper and drop them a note of congratulations or thank you. 
um, and I still do that today. Actually, I, I just I just this morning wrote four of our senior players from CMU that have contributed so greatly to the program over the last four or five years. Um, and those and, and I send out a lot of coach a lot of notes to to coaches who you know have had success and do it the right way. Um, and I enjoy doing that. It, it, to me, it means so much more than a text um, uh, or just a thank you in well, person. there's an investment piece. Well, you're, you're handwriting it, you're, you're addressing yeah, the envelope. Yeah. There, there's some investment to it. But um, I, yeah, I still send out, I, I, I don't know how many I do in a year, but it's, um, it, it, you know, it's just something I've always done. And I used to, uh, I used to handwrite recruits, you know, all the time. Um, uh, different letter, letters of congratulations and uh, hope that you know hope to have you here, things like that. And I, and I, I, I have reunion. I have ten-year reunions of my championship teams. I've got I've got some coming up uh, in September. Fifty-year uh, reunion of my first team, 1971, which is runner-up for the national championship college division. Uh, and then a 40-year reunion. I combine the 80 and 81 championship teams because so many of the guys played on both teams. I've got that the week later in September uh, for, for that group. But I don't know, and I have each player stand up, introduce his wife, talk about uh, you know what they're doing, their family, and so forth. I don't know how many have mentioned, Coach, I've kept all your letters. Uh, so you know it's meaningful. You know, I was in those Division One meetings at the convention, and you always did such a good job. What do you feel like is the most important legislation that we got passed for college baseball in your time as executive director? In Division One, uh, probably the expansion from 48 to, to, to then eventually 64. Because... Yeah, for somebody that doesn't understand that, yeah. that's looking at the tournament now, talk a little bit about the 48 team format. Well, we had, uh, we had, um, we had at one time 36 and it went to 48. You'd have a, a six-team, six-team regional. Yeah, eight, eight of them. Eight of those. Uh, actually, there's a kind of skipping between because it was there was at one time there was um, you had four four-team regionals and four six-team regionals, and you'd always hope, geez, I'm not hope I'm not in that six-team one. Uh, and so then it went to, to to all six teams, and then eventually then to the 16 four-team regionals. Um, and so the, the biggest thing about that, and we worked so hard on that, uh, the ABCA, to get that passed because it gave that many more deserving teams, got in, but it gave teams hope. Say, you know, geez, I knew I wasn't going to get in that 48, but with 64, we got a chance now to get in the 64. So that piece of legislation was was huge. Well, it opened some more automatic yeah, bids up for yeah, some conferences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then and then another piece um, um, that that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is to the coaches in the north, and we got the season moved back a couple weeks. Two more weeks of good weather. Uh, Another, those were battles at the convention those years. Oh, yeah. With, with the, the northern coaches standing yeah. up and, and being like, you guys don't understand yeah. how much of an advantage you have when yeah. you can start. You know, there were teams playing in the middle of January yeah. back then where you may only need five pitchers to get through the whole year because you're playing three games a week yeah. rather than in the north. You'd start March first, and you're playing six games a week. Well, 
we, I remember going to Texas. I took the team to Texas. We opened up with a three-game series with Texas Christian. We won two out of three. So we're two and one. We go down to Austin, play University of Texas. They're 34 and 0. 34 and 0. And the stadium is packed an hour and a half before the game starts. I think, geez, what's going on? Well, if they beat us the doubleheader, we had it set the record for the most consecutive wins at the start of the season. And so we go there and we face two, Seraldi and... Uh, Cliff Gustafson was the coach. Yeah, now. Cliff was the guy. Faced two first-round draft picks and they set the record. And then we head up to Baylor the next day. And so, um, uh, but now, even though the start date's the middle of February, at least when, when uh, Central Michigan goes to it's Texas, still you're still game. zero and zero. Yes. Uh, you might be leaving and snow. And you see it every year yeah. now. The first opening weekend, there'll be some teams that, that beat some teams that maybe they yeah. shouldn't because yeah. everybody's on the same footing. Same page. So so the start date, moving it back, you know, that was good legislation. And then probably one of the most controversial ones we had was with the APR. The presidents, presidents, they were upset with the, um, with the, low graduation rates of, of baseball. And there's there's good reasoning for for because of the we draft of the June. Yeah, right. Time. And so basically we were told well, let me backtrack a little bit. Miles Brand was was the president CEO and he was great for college baseball. And they they were ready. They it was within minutes of us having playing um, a 42 or 44 game schedule. And, and Miles Brand said to the board, uh, the uh, president's board, that, hey, let's give the baseball community an opportunity to come with a proposal. That's when we started to set up the APR. And it was very controversial because uh, a lot of coaches didn't want anything different. But I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, idea. so we, that's when we came up with with minimum of 25 scholarships uh you got to be eligible in the fall to to be because that was a big distraction right there um and, and no transfers and all of that uh in in, in limits of 35 and 27 scholarships and for well, me that was the big one was yeah, the 35 yeah because yeah. since that legislation was put in place look at the teams that went to omaha that had never been there were a lot of first timers after all that legislation went in place ton of first time teams yeah. in omaha after that. no doubt so that was controversial but it worked it, it, did work. it, it worked the aprs climbed up and you, after the first year, you didn't hear hardly any complaining. You still get some complaints from some about $25. But if you're going to give a kid 25%, you're making a commitment. You're not giving them books and then saying, hey, go after a year. Uh, and so you're, you're making a financial commitment. You're making a commitment that he's going to be part of the team uh, when, you, when you have thir maximum of 35 and so forth. Now, what's going to happen to that? COVID, of course, is, you know. We've had to adjust because yeah, of COVID. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, uh, I don't know where, that, where that's going to go. Um, but, hey, the coaches, the coaches um, uh, adjusted to that. 
and um, it, it has, it's worked. And the makeup of college campuses now, I think there's so much more structure for student athletes. You know, almost every athletic department has tutoring. You know, I, I think it's easier. You know, it, college is difficult from an academic piece, but I think it's an easier time now for athletes because of the, the amount of support that they have on every college campus. The, it's, it's amazing. I, I remember, remember touring University of Michigan's academic center and saying, a kid can't fail. For sure. If you go to class, you're yeah, going to Yeah, kid, kid's not going to fail. can't possibly fail. And, uh, and all programs have now, you know, good, good, and rightly so. I mean, you know, if you're making, now the kid, of course, is still has to be the one to be held accountable. It has to be responsible. But if a kid is willing to work hard, you're going to get your college degree. How proud of Craig are you? I mean, he took over for you. How yeah. proud of Craig are you? Yeah, well, I've been proud of him since the day he was born. But, uh, he um, uh, he he's done a phenomenal job. I remember, I remember, it was in Dallas, which was my last convention. Uh, uh, Craig and Jane and our other son Brad and his wife Katie they came to the convention, and um, I had announced announced my retirement a year in advance. We had several, uh, and at that convention in Dallas, several of our board members asked Craig, "Hey, would you be interested in this?" And Craig, remember Craig and Jane coming up to the room uh, one evening at the convention and saying, hey, Dad, what do you think of this? You know, I've been approached by so-and-so and so-and-so, all board members, and something I think might be interested in. And so he went through the process. He did apply. Uh, our board unanimously hired him. Um, and, you know, he, he's put together a great staff. The staff, I mean, last well, talk night. Talk about Juan Clark too. I mean, yeah, we had dinner last yeah. night, and Juan's been when, been with us the longest of everybody. Yeah. I call him the captain. Yeah. But you were telling some great stories about Juan last well, night. Yeah, Juan, we hired. Uh, you know, maybe Juan was with us several years before. You know, we moved uh, down to uh, to Car Carolina, but um, uh, it's it just a great team. And you know, I've sat in on your meetings down at the at the headquarters in in Greensboro, and um, I'm just so impressed. I couldn't be more proud of of Craig and the whole staff of what you guys have accomplished. You know, going from to, to you know 13,000 members, you know, having having 10,000 people, 700 or 7,000, 8,000 coaches at the convention. And how you've expanded on the sponsorships and the uh, and the exhibit areas, and and the the thing is, and I've said this to so many people, this past year has been so difficult, and with some sports associations on the brink of folding, and and you look at it and say, um, well, well, what did you think when Craig said, hey? We're going to do a virtual convention. What was your first reaction to that? What's virtual convention? <laughs> well, mine too. I would, those, it was dicey. You know, for I, people weren't in those meetings with us last year when COVID hit, and the meetings were tough because oh, yeah. we we were between a rock and a hard place. We didn't know what to do. We knew we knew we had to do something, and we knew the likelihood of being able to do an onsite was was not going to be good. But what do you do? We 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 were starting from ground zero. Nobody had done anything like that before in the sports space. So those meetings, I was like, I don't know, but you know, to everybody's credit, and John did such a, a tremendous job of finding the platform and 
we did do a bunch of groundwork with the different platforms, but you know, you, you re I still had a hard time wrapping my head around it until it actually, until we did it, until you went and did well, it. Well, I watched the whole thing and it was, um, to me, it was mind boggling. Um, I never would have been able to pull it off because I didn't have the technology background uh, or anything like that. But to be able to have, and then when Craig said, we're going to have the exhibitors too, I'm thinking, how in the world is that going to work? And you had the, you had the youth clinics, uh, you had the, the expo theater. Uh, the Q&As were a nice piece you, Well, the question, after, you had, it was just, the only, it was absolutely like you went to the actual convention, except you're sitting in your living room or office watching it instead of walking around in person. And I, what's amazing is that, you know, I visit with coaches all the time. Um, I, every coach I talk to, and dozens and dozens of them, thought it was phenomenal. I mean, what, what you guys pulled off was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and... Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to even lead to better things down the road because there's hundreds of coaches out there for financial reasons or travel reasons, whatever, that might not be able to attend the convention in, per, uh, in, in person but still have an opportunity to be part of it. And the main thing is, is the learning experience. And this was a great learning experience. And the other thing which is really neat on the side when the, the clinic's going on, Guys can make comments. Chats. Yep. You didn't see any bad comments. I mean, there's there's hundreds, if not thousands, of comments that come through during that five day period, and there wasn't a negative thing. What what the only negative one that I saw is one person texted is that uh, his screen froze up or something, and somebody else. It might have been it. my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somebody, and then three or four guys chimed in and how to go about fixing it, and it was just. Um, I, I remember remember one. Charlie Green Jr. doing a session on catching, and somebody texted in, "This alone is worth the price of the of the of the the ninety dollars or whatever you had to pay." I mean, it was it was incredible. And the other thing was, is you know, you had forty six, forty seven hundred coaches on, but it was a lot more than that because I talked to a couple of coaches that had the whole staff sitting in the office or at in the living room for five days watching it. So we got we met our objective of of being able to educate thousands of coaches. And, and the thing that, the greatest, the greatest thing about the association is that we got 13,000 members and we can say every year, not, no, every week, we're making 13,000 coaches better coaches. And that's the, and, and you asked early on before I got rambling on other things about the, some of the changes. Base, college baseball right now is so much better at every level than, than when I played and when I coached, and uh, it, it's just been. Um, I I watch I watch the teams now. I went to went went down where Central Michigan was at the at the South Bend, uh, and with Michigan and in Connecticut in Notre Dame and Central, I'm sitting there watching. And say, these are four great baseball teams, and then you watch it on TV, and but but it's the same thing in Division Two, Division Three, NAIA. So many more good players and good coaches. Now I don't want to take anything away from those great teams uh, of Southern Cal and and uh, in Texas and Miami. Um, uh, 
in, in Arizona State, they were, they were great teams and they'd be great teams today. There's just so many more of them. You know, when you have... Well, the field here is wide open. Oh, yeah. These eight teams are playing hot. Yeah. They're all hot. The, the field this year is wide open. Yeah. Anybody could win it this year. It, no doubt. Uh, it, it just amazes me the level of play and what coaches do. I talk, talk to coaches about what they do uh, visually and in, in everything. It's, it's mind-boggling to me. What, what they're able but to do. But you also now, different from your time where you had to teach and do that, you have guys now that are, are getting paid well enough to where they can just focus on the baseball players. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's improved. You know, it's yeah. every, everything's gone up in yeah. that way, too, because guys are able to focus on their players and their program yeah. a little bit more than maybe they had. To, well, to the, the, the thing is, is that when, when, um, when we really got into the exhibits, when I became the executive director, we didn't have an awful lot of things as far as exhibitors, and we expanded it and expanded and expanded. And I walked through the exhibit hall, there's stuff that I've never even seen or heard of before. And, and now you're up over 300. When I, my first convention, the Mayflower Hotel, our exhibits consisted of three companies with a card table. And, and, and what we have now, and I'm thinking, what in the world is this stuff? I mean, it, uh, I was so excited when I got, as a coach, when I got my first pitching machine. And, and I think we got five or six of them at Central now. Uh, I was so excited when we got our first video set up to, to film our hitters. And, I mean, that was, that was something really, really a big deal. But it, what they do now, I, I sit in, the, I still like to sit in a, on a lot of the clinics. Well, you and, have more access in, on your phone right now to be able <laughs> yeah. to film. I mean, well, that's what's made it easier for coaches now, too, is the technology is Well, well you, can go to the, you can go to the ABCA app, and you, if you want to see something on infield play, you can, you can dial up uh, 50 different great coaches on infield play. It's amazing. And the other thing that I'm really proud of, what you guys have been able to do, is that every, every coach can afford to be a member. I mean, $95 for membership, or no, $75 70, for membership, $95 for the convention. I mean, how can you not, if a, if a, if a guy isn't a member, you're, you're really cheating your kids. You're really cheating your players if you're not a member of the ABCA. Talk about the board. I mean, we're here for the board meetings. This is a unique thing for us. We come to Omaha during the College World Series. Talk about the board and what it means to the association. Well, it's, I was president in 1982, and we didn't have a board of directors at that time. We had to, basically, um, Lee Elbrook was the executive director, uh, and we had the officers. I was an officer. You work up just like you do now from fourth vice president up to president, 82. And, and then we kind of had a gathering of, uh, a social gathering more of the past presidents. And John Winken uh, from Maine was kind of the guy that led this about we should put together a board of directors. Um, and I, was, I remember I was president at that time, so it was, a, so it was in, in uh, 82 that we set that up. Um, and in that group then, it was a group of our, the leaders past, well, past coaches and present coaches, but basically the leaders of baseball and in the ABCA that, that got that going. And there are so many great minds in there that they, that they can lend a lot of, of 
of support to the to the staff, and and Craig relies as as the staff does relies heavily on on the officers uh, and the board members. I think uh, it's great because we have a wide range. You know, we have guys that have been in it for you know 60, 70 years, and then we have some some younger guys younger. in it that are twenty years in. I think yeah. it's a great mix of of knowledge, but also somebody that's a little newer. I just think it's a great diverse group of well, members. and you've got it used to be it used to be primarily a Division One yeah. gathering. Yeah. Now we've got on the board high school coaches. We've got on the executive committee youth coaches, travel ball yeah. coaches, uh, all of those representing um, uh, hun uh, hundreds of thousands of, of, of players, yeah. and so. Um, it's a great group. Uh, when we gather here and in, in each January at the convention, it's really a special time because we're, we're uh, used to be, we do battle with each other on the field and now we're the best of buddies. Uh, and that's been, that's been the case for There's forever. just a genuine love for the organization, yeah. genuine love for baseball. Um, you know, Nashville was my first convention with the organization and being in the room with you guys just, comes out how much you guys enjoy each other but yeah. how much you guys love baseball also. yeah yeah it's a, it's a it's a great gathering a great group a great support group for uh for our association um and a lot of knowledge in that room do you have a fail forward moment i ask everybody this that comes on the podcast so something that you thought was maybe <laughs> going to set you back at some point but you look back now and maybe it was one of the best things that ever happened to you um with the abc or my career and, life um, well I, I've, I've been truly blessed to have so many wonderful options all we can ask for in life or hope for is that good opportunities come our way you still have to be smart enough to recognize them uh, what is the key to that what is the key to I, recognizing I, I, a good opportunity I, I, I think so many people hold themselves back yeah. sometimes from making and, and taking a chance on themselves yeah. how do you recognize those well, good you, opportunities yeah, it's a good question Ryan you have to I know it's probably a matter of, of some knowledge, experiences, common sense, a gut feeling. Um, we have to, we have to, to, you're going to have some success and you're going to have a lot of failures as you work your way up. Um, but you can't be afraid of failure. Uh, uh, it, it, it makes you stronger, it makes you better. Uh, makes you more prepared. How do you jump into failure? I mean, people say that all the time, like, don't be afraid of failure, but yeah. how do you jump into that? Where, where you know, it, like, this may or may not work, but yeah. I'm going I'm to jump Well, in you give it the best you can, and, and most times it's going to work, but sometimes it isn't. You gather yourself and you move into the next thing. You, you know, we've, we, we've Well, if got, something didn't go your way, how did you, I mean, what was your, you know, it, in life, well, well you, first, first of all, you sit back. If it doesn't go your way, first of all, you sit back and you say to yourself, okay, why, did, why didn't this go the way it should? So you have to evaluate yourself, first of all. You, can't, you don't blame other people. You say, okay, did I do something wrong? Well, and that's the reason this didn't work. So you analyze that, and then you regroup and say, okay, this didn't work. What's the, what's the next thing we can do? Well, you know... Like, like, like Tom Annette, Thomas Edison, the great inventor, he said, you know, you, you never really fail. It's just you eliminate something that doesn't work, yep. and then you move on to the next thing. 
And so you have, you know, something like that, uh, hundreds of failures. Uh, I was riding up the elevator yesterday. We're here, the Olympic trials are going on at the same time, the swimming Olympic yeah. trials, and I'm in the elevator with a, a, a girl, and I said, hey, are you here for the trials? And she's like, yeah, I'm a swimmer. I'm like, well, how'd you do? She goes, well, not good today. And I was like, well, how was your preparation? And she said, my preparation was great. I'm like, well, that, that's all you can yeah, do. All you if can your preparation do. was great, you may not have performed how you wanted yeah. to perform, but, but your preparation was great. Well, if, if somebody asks, if, if you've had any success, what is the, the reason for, the major reason for it? In my case, I'd say preparation. Um, you, it, it's probably the case for anybody that has a success. Uh, you have to be totally prepared. Um, I, I think Craig falls into that same category. I see hey, how he prepares for meetings and for, for, for different things like that. And uh, you have to know what you're talking about when you go in, especially when you've got a room full of experts. And, uh, and so. I appreciate his management style. Um, you know, once he trusts that you're going to do your job, then he gets out of your way. And I appreciate that about him. Well, it's fu funny. We, you know, we, had, we all had a nice dinner last night. And on the way up to the room, Craig said to me, he says, is this the greatest staff in the world or what? And I said, yeah, it is. It really is. We, we genuinely get along and we all compliment each other. Well, in, in each one of you has your own niche and responsibility. I, I think he lets you do that because he has great faith in each one of you and you, and you really pull it up. But the, the other thing that I see is that if, if you go to work each day and you're working with people you enjoy working with, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And that's like when I was coaching, when I was AD, when I was executive director of the ABCA. Boy, there's not many days that I didn't want to go to work. I mean, you look forward to that. And um, some days are tougher than others, but, and then it is, when, it, when you pull it off, um, you actually, probably when the convention is over with, I, I find there's a little bit of a letdown. I mean, there's a great feeling that it went great, but the buildup is so huge. And then all of a sudden you months and months and months of preparation and then you pull off this great event and then all of a sudden, bam, it's all, it's all over with. The good thing is, is that a week later you start for the next year. Uh, but, but it's more than the convention. It's, it's the legislative stuff and the educational stuff you guys send out every day. All American committees. I mean, our, yeah. our, we have hands in everything. You yeah. Know, and it's, yeah. it's tremendous. What are some final thoughts or favorite memories of, of the past you know, four well, years? Well, as a coach, the, the most rewarding things are the, the young men you coached. And well, you may not realize it as much at the time is as time goes on. I mentioned about the reunions that I, that I have with the championship teams. Um, and I always say to them, and I really mean this, as proud as I was of them when they were student athletes at Central in, in, in playing uh, in our program, I'm even more proud of them today, what they've become as, as husbands, fathers, professionals, um, uh, community leaders. Uh, I mean, I've got Kaiser coaches that are, that are doctors and, and uh, presidents of major companies and things like that. And you look at, the, you know, they bring their wives back, I meet their kids, so forth. I mean, that, that is really special. When you, as a coach, feel that you've made a difference in a young person's life. And then, as, as, the, as an athletic director, you look at and say, 
okay, we've really built something special here with all of our teams. One of the things that, I, that I'm really proud of as an athletic director is the 10 years that I was athletic director at Central, every, every team uh, won at least one championship and many, several. And, um, and then um, uh, every coach had been named MAC Coach of the Year at least once, Mid-American Conference Coach of the Year at least once. So that was, that, that was good. So you feel like you've done something there. And then uh, as the executive director, you feel like, hey, we're making 13,000 coaches. You helped change college back. baseball, by the way. I mean, that, I think your legacy, you helped change college well, baseball with your time as executive director. You well, did. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I hopefully have had some effect on And, of course, I served on the baseball committee for 12 and a half years and was chair a couple years in, in, uh, with the NCAA. And, um, yeah, there, there, I was just fortunate to have a lot of really good opportunities. Thanks, Dave. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. I was looking forward to sitting down with Dave. He values the history and traditions we have in the game. He's truly a protector of baseball. He's also a phenomenal storyteller. Can't thank him enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to chat and for being a great mentor. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore abca, Instagram at ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh,